everybody. Welcome back to Not Too Taboo with me, Gretchen Rossi, and my partner in crime, the best daddy to our little treasure, and the guy that I sometimes share money with. Yes, I am that man, your favorite housewife, Slade Smiley. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming back, everybody. We really appreciate you being here. We uh, want to remind you to download, to subscribe. Mm-hmm. I say tweet me. <laughs> Send me this information on social. I'm trying to be more social, honey. But what does tweeting have to do with downloading and subscribing? Well, I don't know. Okay, so you guys, take your phones (laughs) out right now. Please download and subscribe today. Rinse and repeat, download and subscribe. Okay, so welcome back, everyone, to our favorite time of the week where we say way too many private things and get to talk about it all. Balancing parenthood, relationships, career, while dealing with sleep deprivation, a messy house, like really messy house right now, <laughs> diaper changes, bottles, and baby, I would normally say spit up, but this last week it was throw up, like full on projectile throw up. <laughs> well, or the night before. It was horrible. Three nights in a row. This is, this is like up. literally TMI though, but I mean, every parent can relate. Have you ever had that night where your child has decided to eliminate twice their body weight? <laughs> oh, and then they figured out how to actually remove the diaper? You guys. It was a crime scene. It can was I just say it was a legit crime scene? That has ever happened in my life. And like she I, was happy. Like she, she was, was thrilled. She was loving it. She took her diaper off, was playing with the poo all in the crib, totally wrecked the entire crib, all the sheets, yeah. all the bumper, everything. Anyway. Okay. That's my so. the parents out there. We're with you. <laughs> uh, mad props. <laughs> so today I'm pretty excited uh, because we're going to talk about a very taboo topic yep. that I think a lot of people are afraid to discuss That's and kind of so get into. Yep. Uh, obviously it's a very important topic and we have the best of the best with us. We do. It's so true. So today's topic of the day is managing money, you guys. People have strange relationships with money, as you know. Money is tied to basic survival for most of us. It stresses us out. It makes us happy. It attracts us to people we wouldn't normally be attracted to. And I asked you that question. Did you? Are you... Do you find yourself being attracted to people with money that you normally wouldn't be attracted to? If that was the case, then I wouldn't have married you. <laughs> All righty then. All righty then. <laughs> uh, there's that famous quote from Notorious B.I.G.'s hit single, More Money, More Problems. Yeah. But here, here's what I wonder. I wonder if our guest believes that to be true. I know. I'm, we're going to find out. Because today. she is amazing at what she does. Well, she the is. acquisition of wealth, the retention of wealth. And I'm wondering if she believes that because if it's handled the right way, is it really a big problem? We're going to ask her that today. You guys, it's she is a number one New York Times bestselling author. She's authored three bestselling books, including Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Contentment Journal, and Smart Money, Smart Kids. She's also the host of The Rachel Cruz Show, The Rachel Cruz Show Podcast. She serves at Ramsey Solutions, where she teaches people to avoid debt, budget, and how to win with money. Rachel's here today to help us be smarter with our money. Her newest book is called Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Please welcome Rachel Cruz. I get an applause. Right? Oh, like, for yeah, sure. That's our and, studio audience. Oh, but can no, I, thank you. Can I just tell you, <clears throat> I'm really bad with the board. <laughs> and there have been times where we've been so excited to introduce oh, a guest. I go for the applause and I hit that laugh button. And he hits the laugh button. Yeah, Rachel. it's really embarrassing. Literally. Which is what? Which is the laugh. Like it's, that's, oh, the like, laugh button. <laughs> So that's bad. the last thing I want to do is have a very important guest feel like we're laughing at them because yeah. they're on our show. And he does that. So, right. so this morning he actually marked the board. So this is the first time Could in you, a long time he actually hit the audience button. Because you're very important. Like so, <laughs> so important that I, 
<laughs> you get a double like, applause. You get a double applause. Like that's how excited we are. Twice. Yeah, because we're it. excited Cause if, that you're here. If it was the laugh, if it was the laugh, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, just so the, well, the listeners you know. Thank for having me on. Oh, we're so excited. So you're excited here. that you're here. So, you guys, if you don't know, Rachel Cruz is the daughter of the very well known Dave Ramsey. Um, you guys, he has been, I feel like, would you say like a little bit of a staple in like our money management? I, I say like where we have our go-to spiritual leader, mm-hmm. Dave is our go-to financial leader. Yeah, that's a good one. How that's a that? good one. But what's so exciting for me today is that Rachel's here because first of all, I just got it. I got to ask you, how was it being raised by Dave Ramsey and in that household? Like, do you feel like you just had money stuff like just always ingrained. there. Yeah. Ingrained it's since you were this like point. an infant or like, how was that growing up? Yeah. People ask me this a lot. And I think people assume, yeah, you grew up with Dave Ramsey as your dad. So you probably had like mutual fund birthday parties. Yeah. Which was not the case. Not the case at all. Mom and dad actually were pretty normal in the money sector of life, if you will, um, in some ways. But in some ways, they're pretty abnormal because we talked about it a lot. Yeah. Not like, how much money do you make? But like, hey, here's money as a tool, so we're going we're gonna to use it wisely. You're going to learn how to earn it. So we were always on commission. We were never given an allowance as kids. Oh, I and love so, that. Oh, commission based upon oh, performance. I, I dig it. I love that. Oh. Since five years old, I've been on commission, people. So. Oh my gosh, That's that awesome. is brilliant. We are totally We're doing so that adopting that. Skylar just ended up on commission. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, so that kind of stuff, you know, they did really well, I feel like implementing how money works, but it was never obsessive or like over the top. People assume so, because it's Dave Ramsey, but um but yeah, so that was kind of it. And I, I was born actually the year they filed for bankruptcy. So dad's kind of story oh, started wow. out of bankruptcy. Yeah. So I was born in April and then they filed in September. So it was like this like weird thing of like, I was born that year. I like really grew a passion for this message and helping people control their money and not letting their money control them or it be their identity. Um, but really learn, hey, how do I manage this well? I love it. And so the fact that I was born that, I don't know. Just yeah, kind of that's these, kind of weird. And actually, align. when you just said that, like my whole body got chills because I swear I believe in this so much. I believe in like the universe and God and like when things happen. And I think that's so interesting that you were born that year that they filed for bankruptcy. And now you have become this incredible teacher, a New York Times bestselling author. You're truly helping people, you know, get out of a debt or avoid debt, budget, and actually how to win with money. And I think that's what's so interesting about your books and about this book in particular. I am so excited about this book. We started diving into it, obviously having a baby, you don't get all the time to yourself, but, um, you know, really knowing yourself and knowing your money, I feel like is such an important part. And I think a lot of people miss this. And I loved, um, in the foreword where your dad says, you know, most people think, that a money issue is just like fixing the mathematical strategy, right? Like they just want to like fix the numbers and they're going to be fine. And a lot of people don't look at the actual psychology behind why you're mismanaging your money. And the fact that our our country is what I would consider, um, you know, illiterate when it comes to money and because we're not taught any of this stuff. We're, we don't go to school and get taught any of this, which frustrates the heck out of me. It does. Yeah. It I mean, really it, frustrates me. We'd love to have your thoughts on that. We've talked a lot about the fact that there's a rampant financial illiteracy. Yeah. You know, you're taught all these things in school that you don't ever really necessarily apply to your everyday life. But why, why are we not being taught finance, balancing a checkbook, managing that checking? Account? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's bizarre. And, and over the past probably, I guess, seven, eight years, certain states have actually started to mandate financial literacy. And we oh, have a whole curriculum. God. And we just graduated our five millionth high school student <gasps> through our stuff, which is awesome. Oh. But I still will say, though, yes, you can learn it all. And getting it, the earlier, the better, right? I'm like, yes. avoid all the mistakes. Learn small, inexpensive mistakes when you're in high school or college, you know, and then, well, yes. college or student debt. You know what I'm saying? But I think too, you get into this world of our culture of America and I'm like, and I think honestly, in order to win, you have to do everything opposite of what you're taught. You have to live on less than you make. You have to have a plan. You have to budget. You have to say no to yourself sometimes. That way you can say yes later. You have to save. You have to delay gratification. It's all these things that literally were taught the opposite, opposite. right? Like everything is so opposite. So it's, it's so interesting. And I, and it's funny because people are like, oh, Ramsey Solutions or Dave Ramsey, Rachel Cruz, like oh, you're just brilliant. And I'm like, no, I feel like we've packaged common sense really well. (laughs) (laughs) We're able to write about it because personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So understanding how it works is so easy, but doing it and controlling you is so hard, hard right? It's so hard. So I, I have a question for you too, and I, I want to commend you, you know, for what you guys are doing, especially at the, you know, the high school level of beginning to teach this curriculum and, and educating individuals. I wish I had it. Yeah, me too. You know, too. Gretchen will tell you that, you know, this, the impact of your book and what you've written about, it, and I'm excited to talk more about it, hit, hit home so specifically because my father went through a lot of financial difficulties. He had to file bankruptcy because of bad business deals. And Gretchen will tell you that my perception on my work life and my ethic is because I grew up not wanting to be like my dad. My dad was the get rich quick. I'm going to do this deal, make the money, not really look at the details of things. I now over-evaluate. I'm a pain in the butt <laughs> because I'm trying to go through every little I, you know, cross every T because I watched what happens on the other side when you didn't do it. The other thing that I want to point out, which is why what you're, what you're doing is so imperative, we're in an IG society. All of these millennials, instant gratification. I don't have to have a car. I can just call Uber. I order my food, comes to my front door. I don't have to go out to shop because I can just go online and do it. So it's very IG. How do you translate the learning aspect of save, wait, be patient when you're dealing with an entire new society of instant gratification? Yeah. Oh, I think it's so it's so much more difficult. I mean, because you literally, I mean, that your your device, your phone is with you all the time and it literally gives you what you're saying. Everything you want, anything you want, a ride, your food. Uh, clothes. I mean, it's all right there. And so it takes a whole other level of discipline and honestly maturity to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to breathe and I'm going to know that that stuff is not bad. Like having stuff is not wrong. And so I believe that like, if you, if you want to, you know, have food delivered twice a week to your house, three times a week, whatever for dinner, three, five times, you can do that. If you want to buy new clothes, you can do that. But so it's okay to have some nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. Mm. So when I think that it gets wrapped into, are you borrowing money for all this stuff? Because mm-hmm. that, that road to debt, man, I mean, it's just like, it's filled with discontent, mm-hmm. discontentment, because you can just keep buying, keep yep. buying, fulfilling that, that hurt or whatever you're trying to fulfill constantly. And you end up just like, obviously with a financial mess at the yeah. end of it as well. So I think you just have to be extremely disciplined to make sure you're not going into debt for stuff. You've had a plan. And there's a contentment aspect that, and I think during quarantine too, I think a lot of us have felt that is like, okay, I'm stressed or I'm scared or I'm bored. So I'm just going to shop because that little dopamine hit feels good in the moment. It's like, Ooh, okay. I'll just buy that. And so you really have to watch and and be careful with your purchasing because it's so much easier than any time in history to buy 
I mean, I ordered pizza, you guys, like, like last weekend, I didn't even have to put in my debit card number, nothing. I mean, you hit Apple pay on yep. the app, the pizza app it scans your face and pizza yep. shows up. And I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> it's so, so it's just, true. it's wild. So the, there's a convenience that is good, right? If you're in control of it though. In control. Yeah. But see now Gretchen, you can speak to this personally because you went through a phase where you know, the acquisition of goods or the material things, like you're getting yourself away from the stress or anxiety, do a little retail therapy, mm-hmm. but you start to realize very quickly. And a lot of people don't realize until it's too late that it's not a method of sustained happiness. No, it is that sure. little hit of dopamine. And then suddenly like the next day, well, okay, I got the new handbag. I got the new shoes, but ugh, I'm kind of over it. And what's even worse now is you have Instagram and social. So I've shared it. I took the picture of it. I got to have something new. I got to have something new. Yeah. So that keeping up with the Joneses has... But you know Compounded what? The second, a that, times. the second that oh, I yeah. stopped doing that and stopped um, feeling the need to do that, I found so much more inner peace and so much more happiness. And it took uh, what Rachel's talking about. It took discipline and it took really um, taking a look at yourself in the mirror and looking internally and going, why, why am I like, what, what is it that is causing me to make this feel like this is, um, you know, making me, what's the word I'm looking for? For the love of God, I can't think of it right now. You know what I mean? Like back, Cope. back Maybe then. Like a, like a, like a coping, like coping mechanism. mechanism? Yeah. Or like, it was like, it was in my early thirties where so, somehow I was feel, feeling defined by like what I had. Yeah. And oh, yeah. for a lot yeah. of people, wealth defines them. And for, for me at that time in my life, you know, I was on a popular television show. It was about what you have, what you, you know, what you can accumulate, da, da, yeah. da. It was about this perception of wealth. Well, and you're so encouraged to share your extravagant lifestyle, right? To, to share that and have that. And so. And share your dysfunction. And you know what I mean? And so that you don't even realize how much you get engulfed by it. And then all of a sudden one day I was like, wait a minute, I am not like none of this stuff. Yeah. It makes me happy for like a day and a half, maybe tops. And then I'm just like, okay, now I'm back to like feeling sad of what's like the next thing. And truly the only two things that have ever really fulfilled me at that level has been my relationship with God. Well, actually now I have three, my relationship yeah, with you God better. when I met you. And then recently with sky, like those three yeah. things are truly what is deeply fulfilling for me in my life. And the money aspect of things, like, don't get me wrong. Money makes things easier for sure, but it's no longer, you know, the core of what defines me. And I feel like when you get control of that and you really take a deep look into that, you can, you can be so much more at peace. You can, but this is why I want Rachel, I want you to really kind of go into what this book is about, the foundation and concept behind the book. And the reason is, is, you know, Gretchen's realization, I think she's had an advantage because we've all had that advantage where if we've reached a certain level of success and wealth, we've been able to go out, buy what we wanted, have the extravagant things or live that lifestyle only after you obtain it you start to realizing, oh, well, that's not really what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Think about all the people that have never been able to obtain it. In their minds, they still perceive that if I get the money and I get the things, that I will be happy. You've been blessed at a young age to have had- I mean, I worked really hard to have that. No, I'm not saying not to take it, not to take it away from you, but I'm just saying, you know, we've all been blessed with having had wealth or having an opportunity to live a lifestyle that a lot of people still aspire to, Mm -hmm. but what they don't necessarily realize is that it's not going, you're not going to buy happiness. Mm -hmm. You're not going to buy it. And that's why I love what this book is about. And I'd love to have you kind of get into some details about know yourself, know your money. 
Yeah. I mean, everything you guys are saying, I'm like, yes, yes. And yes. And it's so hard again, because I feel like the messages, everything is against that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you acquire, you upgrade and you go, and and we, we're, we're a culture that celebrates materialism and success and, and the hustle and like all of it. Right. And like you said, Gretchen, like when you get back down to the core of who you are, Mm -hmm. knowing yourself and for everyone universally, whether you like it or not, Truly, your happiness comes from, I think, um, a higher calling, something right. bigger. So right. in my case, I share that with you, God, right. my relationship there, your family, mm-hmm. and your friendships. Like It's like the stuff you literally cannot purchase right. is what becomes more valuable. Right. And it is. It's so true. And so, yeah, with this book, you know, I dove kind of that layer deeper and even more because for over a decade, I realized, okay, especially at Ramsey Solutions where I work and what I teach on is so much on how to handle money. And it's talking about like, hey, this is how you get out of debt. This is how you budget. This is how you invest, how to refinance your house, how, how, how. And it's all good steps to to allow you to be financially free if you follow those steps. But then I started to wonder a few years ago when I went through some intense counseling and did, you know, things like the Enneagram. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram uh, or personality tests. Like I started kind of dabbling in all of that and really discovering myself and so many things about how I'm wired, why I do the things I do. And I thought, man, how does this apply to my money? So, so that's what the book is. Know yourself, know your money. It's not just how to handle money, but it's the why, the why behind it. So it's almost going under that foundation. And it's everything from how you grew up, your fears, your dreams, your tendencies. I mean, it covers all of that. And, and I think what it does is it allows you to have the language as you're going through your money journey through your life to say, okay, this is why I do the things I do but also to be able to empathize with those around you, especially everyone that's married. So many questions I get is, hey, hey, how do I, how do I get my spouse on board? Or like my spouse spends so much more than I do. And gosh, we're so opposite. You now may be able to say, hey, I'm actually going to be able to go a few layers deeper with the people I love in my life to realize, okay, that's why they're doing this. It's either out of mm. how they grew up maybe, or that insecurity or because of their story. Like it's more asking those why questions. And I think you said this late at the beginning, but it, or Gretchen, you may have, but yeah, money is not just about the math. Like it's not just like right. fixing the math problem. It really is fixing you and who you are. And then out of that comes good money habits. See, and do I not love this because I have the degree in psychology and I feel like everything is linked back to like the psychology of why people do things. I find it that part so no, fascinating. No, it is very fascinating. And the reason that we have such a, a longstanding relationship, Gretchen, is you know, I can't be fixed. <laughs> And so you've been trying for 11 years to fix me. I'm constantly broken, perpetually broken. And so she's always got a project, which is why we work. Um, But, but what, what you're saying is so amazing. And I guess what I want our listeners to realize is that most people that have not had an opportunity to obtain a certain level of financial stability, it has a lot to do with the fact that you were brought up in an environment, a household, or you had mentors that they themselves really weren't taught how to properly do this. So everyone is starting out at, you know, the highest level of anxiety, lowest level of knowledge, right? That's a normal feeling for people. And I love the concept behind this book because what happens is you can now wipe that slate clean. Just realize that maybe you weren't given the tools, maybe you weren't given the foundation to obtain some financial stability, but now take a look at yourself understand why you do what you do. And it may not necessarily be your fault because you were taught a certain way, but this is an opportunity to start setting a solid foundation and start building towards that financial stability or that wealth based upon these principles. Because everyone personally goes, I can't manage money or I don't know how to do it. Or it's not necessarily your fault. You were just taught 
or not or are not taught really how to properly do it. And that's, so, that's a failure of, of society in general. So basically you're saying we're all wired differently when it comes to money. And Rachel, you say there are seven major money tendencies that we all have. Can you share a few of those and why they matter? Yes. Yeah. I wrote about seven of them and it was interesting because spender saver was like always the one I went to when I would teach. Cause that's a very obvious one for a lot of people. Oh yeah. Especially, you know, if you're married again, right. opposites attract. Uh, but then digging back into the layers and even looking at my own marriage and I was like, okay, there, there is a spectrum, a tendency on what you spend your money on. Is it more experience, you know, situations right. or is it items? Is it actual physical things? And for so long, my husband and I, we just missed each other. Like the first few years of marriage. Cause I was like, you know, I would go get a massage or go get my nails done or go do things. I'm like, I'm full on experience all the way, a hundred percent. And he, you know, would make comments, you know, not in a mean way, but he'd be like, man, I could buy a nice pair of boots for what you just spent on that 90 minute massage. And like, it, it just like blew his mind or he would research for a TV. And I'm like, just go buy a cheap one. Who cares? You know, he's like, no, no, no. I want this thing. And I want to make sure it's the right one. And he would spend so much time and energy. And I was like, why are you doing that? And in the moment I realized <laughs> we value things so differently in how we spend our money. And again, just saying it out loud yeah. is so key. Uh, awesome. Also with with the tendency of what does money bring you? And this is really interesting. When I talk to people, does it bring you a status feeling of, okay, I want to be secure with money and have money so that I can go and do, do things. Mm -hmm. And status sounds bad. It's not always bad, but it's, yeah, I want to acquire and I want to enjoy life. It's more of that. Or there is a high level of security that people feel. And when, when that's, when money gives you that security, that flares up when things are not secure. And so for women, the number one financial fear is the lack of security. So mm. I do find, yeah, with a lot of women, it's that security element. Totally. They don't have it financially. And so you look at that spectrum and that's, you'll understand, okay, this is why I'm motivated to start winning with money. And once you kind of figure that out, it really helps you to, to, to kind of pinpoint. And again, for those that you're in relationship with, or, you know, your family that's close, close with you, it's just to be able to say, okay, I get that. Um, another one is quality versus quantity. I'm like all quantity. I'm like, oh yeah, I would have like 80 pairs of earrings. They can all be $20 and under. I don't care. Totally like, I just me. Have a lot of You're so Gretchen's girl. You yes, have no yes, idea. Totally we're me. losing rooms in the house to yes, closets. Literally. Just, you know, like, we're I we're racking be, full rooms. I should be on that show called Hoarders. Even though I'm an organized hoarder, I you, totally you am a hoarder. Be. And to be, you know I what? So I bad. just had this great idea and I don't want to stop Rachel because she's on a roll. Yeah. But I'm just kind of thinking just to be efficient, you guys could share clothes. <laughs> you guys could just set up a time to actually do some swap. Yeah, exactly. It looks it's like new for her. It's new for you. Oh I mean, gosh. your your dad would appreciate the fact that I just said that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're saving money for sure, for sure. But yeah, it's the quantity or the quality. And you know, would you rather have one item that's very nice? And again, it's it's these small things. But when you can pinpoint it almost on a scale, you're able to visually kind of see it, hear it, and have the language for it. Because I think that's what is missing so often is understanding our motives of how and why we do things with our money. So those are just a couple of the tendencies to go through. And it's a fun, just kind of pinpoint of, okay, this is what I do. Would you say that once you kind of figure out like on those tendencies, like quantity versus quality, do you feel like in the book you have kind of a direction that you think is better to go on, on those different tendencies, or do you just kind of hone in on what your tendency is and work within that barrier? And is this will? related to the money classrooms? Is this what she's asking? Um, not necessarily. So we can okay. go back to those though. Cause those are, yeah, those are interesting as well. Um, honestly, Gretchen, not really. I think there's one that there's kind of a healthier versus unhealthy, but a lot of them are just personality. 
So okay. I think some of it is, hey, it's just, and I think there's things to be aware on each side. So I write about that in the book as well, that if you lean this way, just some things to watch out for. Um, but a lot of it is just preference. I don't think that it's right or wrong. Uh, I kind of do find the more balance that is in life, I think with anything is mm -hmm. probably healthier. So I think kind of finding that balance is, is good to kind of yeah. find that that medium. Uh, but overall, no, there's not like a right or wrong. It's more okay. just your preference and your tendencies. And like sometimes that. like, like you're saying, it was how you grew up, which is the money classrooms, which is huge to be able to pinpoint and to say, okay, that is how I was raised. And either I'm duplicating what my parents did and I'm in those habits, good or bad, or I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm like, just, I've, I've completely like been repelled from how my parents did it. And I'm actually doing the opposite. And so out of those four money classrooms, which we can talk about, there is a healthier one out of the four. So yeah. tell, tell us what the money classrooms are. Yes. So it, I look at it kind of like a quadrant because the way people talk about money, it's in two ways, obviously verbal communication, literally talking about it, and also the emotional side of money and how it feels uh, in your household. So if you kind of think about it, you know, one of those axes is up and down, the other one is, is side by side. So up and uh, one of the quadrants in the left side, if you can visualize it, I label it the, the anxious classroom. Yes. yes. It's yeah, the anxious classroom. And that's where everything is emotionally stressed, but it's verbally closed. So money wasn't talked about, but you felt this tension of money. Like when it was brought up, if it was, or if you were at the grocery store buying food with your mom, like whatever the situation was, but anytime money was around, it just, it felt anxious and you, there was no peace there. Uh, the other one was, um, is, is the unstable money classroom. And this is where things are emotionally stressed, but verbally open. So it's kind of your, your wildness out there, right? I mean, you probably heard a lot of fighting money brought tons of conflict. I mean, you just, you felt the stress and it was talked about, like it was, it was all there. And then there's the unaware money classroom where emotionally you're closed. You know, you feel like, okay, yeah, emotionally, there's not a lot. And it was never talked about either. So it was like, okay, or I'm sorry, emotionally peaceful, but never talked about. Mm. It was like, oh yeah, I think everything's fine. And this one's interesting now after kids come out of that and become their own and they talk to their parents about money. It's fascinating because everyone's like, the kids usually are like, oh yeah, I mean, I think we were fine growing up. And the parents are like, oh no, we have like half a million dollars in debt. <laughs> you know, yeah, and right? the adult child is like, what? I yeah. have no clue. Well, did, that Gretchen had that experience, right? I would say, yeah, but let's let her finish the fourth one and we'll talk about that. Go. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the fourth <laughs> one is, is the secure money classroom. So this is where stress is low, but communication is open. So it's like, yep, we're not stressed about money. We're in control and we're going to talk about it. So that's the, that fourth one really is probably the, he the healthiest out of the three and to kind of move yourself and your family currently to, to have that household of that secureness. And I would say maybe what? 2% of the country is probably in number four box. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah, it, not, not a, a lot, lot, sadly. Yeah, not. I would say that probably <laughs> only, not a lot. Only the 5,000 students they've recently yeah, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Slade, so what would you say you were in? One, two, three, or four. What box would you say you grew up in? Uh, let's see. I'm a, I'm a combination of being unaware. Mm -hmm. We know I'm unstable. Uh, I no, meaning <laughs> when you grew up, not about you personally. Well, no, I, I honestly think that most people growing up most is unaware. Yeah. Because if the parents have done their job and they haven't actually well, shared. Well, I don't think most people are. I think there's there's some definite households where it's unstable and it's constantly, you know, talked about and people are yelling and screaming and having issues or That's whatever. That's probably true. That's probably so, true. I was unaware. I think you were unaware. Yeah, I was definitely in box number three, unaware. Where And, and by the way, my parents... Um, 
where that now I know this, but back as a young child, like my mom and dad would tell me stories, how they were, what, what's, how's the saying go where they, they stole from Peter to pay Paul or whatever that saying Rob is. Robbed from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Robbed from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. And they literally were struggling and they still made us think that we had like the most amazing, wonderful lifestyle. And it wasn't until much later in their lives. Um, that they shared the hardship. That, well, yes, but that, um, my father's business, my dad had developed something that was very successful for them. And it was like literally overnight. And I remember thinking to myself, because it was my mom's 40th birthday. And I remember my dad bought her an Acura Integra. And like, that was like the The car. car back then when she was 40. I mean, my mom's almost 70 now. And it was like, holy crap, we're rich. Like that's literally what it felt like back then. It was like back in the day, it was like somebody had bought a Ferrari type thing, literally. <laughs> totally. and, and I remember like all of my mom's friends, it was my mom's 40th surprise party and everyone was like, oh my gosh, what happened to the forwards? Like, how could they get this car? And it was like that, that defining moment I remember so well. And then, but my parents, I, I got to give it to them. They did an incredible job of, you know, managing their wealth and and being smart about it and never being showy to that extent. I think that was literally probably one of the biggest things they ever bought was look at look at my parents now. Look at how financially secure they are. My dad still drives like a Ford van and like and I'm yeah. like, dad, you can afford Ramsey like solutions Ferraris. Would, Ramsey he, solutions would be proud. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> because we give him the hardest time about being so cheap. It, the they're time. so cheap. And but but, you know, I'm not you, buying you Netflix. Watch Slades. But go, yeah, literally, he will not <laughs> buy Netflix. Swear to God, he will yeah. not spend the twelve ninety nine. He wants to use our account, but he'll go out and buy a ten thousand dollar new bicycle. A new bicycle you know? for himself or right. whatever. Mom, he, don't whatever turn on the heat. We're watching the bell this month. Yeah. But, I know you're cold, but, but I'm own, going for a bike ride. But they own four homes. So like, go figure. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing is hey, just. That, so. oh, that is my mom. My dad, he's actually a spender. Most people wouldn't know that. Dad is a spender. Interesting. He's like, oh yeah, if you've worked hard, you got the money, you go. You Oh yeah, sure. dad's like, he lives big. Oh, my mom still to this day checks out books from the library. She's like, why would you want Amazon buy a book? Like, <laughs> I love her. I love her. And I'm like, mom. Oh my mom, gosh. You're okay. That's you're so okay. cute. So, she okay. checks out oh books gosh. at the library. But, but see, this is great because this, this actually brings up that next topic. So in the book, you talk a lot about fear, right? And how fear guides yes. how we perceive or how we treat our money. Your mom maybe has an underlying fear right? About it. Regardless of the success or financial stability that you may have obtained, there is an underlying fear that motivates her to be so to the point and and thrifty, if you will, about the way she manages money. It's really interesting. So talk a little bit about that fear and how it holds us back. Yes. I mean, I think there's fear overall people see as a negative thing. But really when I dove in to write the manuscripts of this book, I was able to talk to so many psychologists and counselors and all this to figure out, okay, I've realized, no, fear is actually a gift because what fear does is it really shows and tells your body physically that you're in trouble and you're in need of something. So what is that need? So that fear kind of rises up. Now, when it goes to anxiety, then we kind of, kind of start to get into the unhealthy side Mm -hmm. of it. But that initial fear, just it's your body telling you and your mind telling you, Hey, I'm in need of something right now. What do I need? And when you look at it that way, you're like, wow, fear really can be a gift. So some of these financial fears are very common for a lot of people, but one of them, we mentioned it earlier, but it's the, the fear of, of, am I going to be okay? It's yeah. that lack of security that is there. And uh, I think there's so many money milestones in our lives that shape our viewpoint on money as well. And mom's still going back to that bankruptcy. I mean, she's not scared that they're not gonna be able to pay their bills next month by any means, but there still is this part of her that's like, you know what, I'm going to just 
be be overly conservative because like I never ever 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 want to go back feel to that way again. no matter what yeah. like right. yeah. yes so there is that but but that lack of security this is a big fear mostly for I hate to say it but it is Americans seventy eight percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck wow so when COVID hit and it shook up everything and people were being laid off and furloughed I mean it really put people back in their place kind of like it did in 08 during the recession where yeah. it was like okay. What do we really have? Are we really living above our means? And that security was rattled, sadly, for so many people. But again, let use that fear as a gift, if that is yours, to say, okay, what are the things I need to put in place to make sure I am secure? And that's to get out of debt. Don't owe anyone anything. If you have no payments, there's so much freedom there financially and emotionally. Get an emergency fund. Have some money in the bank, three to six months of expenses. That is there. That's your safety net. So when you kind of make these steps that fear probably will subside somewhat. Uh, but again, for a lot of people, yeah, it's that that fear of the lack of security. There's also the fear of external forces. And so we're, you know, even the election and yeah. COVID, I mean, all of this, like 2020 was that external forces year. Yeah. Where it was like, you know, people think, well, I can never win because of X, Y, and Z, because there's a pandemic, because so-and-so got in office. Like, like all of these things are allowing me not to win. Or I, I wasn't raised with how money works. I didn't know from a young age. So like, well, I can't do anything about it. You know, it's, it's that feeling and to really push in and say, you know what things, everyone's story is different with money. Everyone's experience is different. Everyone's job is different. You know, how they're working, where they're working, but overall to be able to say, I'm not going to continue to sit back and let those external forces dictate my future. And to really put yourself in the driver's seat of your life and your money and say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to do the things I can control. And that's, what's key is control the controllables, and there's a lot of things we can control with our money, which is a great thing, but putting that in place helps with that fear of that external forces because it's almost this fear you can't tangibly grab onto because you're not in control when that is your top fear. Yeah. But that's really empowering because once you've once you've started to set that foundation, well then the fear doesn't impact you as much. Yeah, but here's, you are in control but here's the thing that I find interesting, and this is the psychology behind the psychology again. Why do you think so many people fear doing and taking being proactive to take the steps to do what you're talking about. Because I feel like that is the huge, the biggest problem. We have a million books out there. We have a million things that teach us what to do with our money, how to do it, how to live below budget, how to budget. How to, why can we not take that step? Why is America so illiterate when it comes to that? Like, is it the fear of having to do those things that causes us to go, no, I'd much rather stick my head in the sand and just, you know, go out and spend money on food or do this or buy clothes or whatever it is. Like what is actually driving people? Because it's like, it's like that philosophy of like, you know, they say you, you talked about the 20, 80 percentage. It's like, they say 80% of being healthy and fit is what you put in your mouth. But yet we still put all this crap in our mouths, you know, and 20% is working out. So why are, why do we continue to do something even though we know it's actually harming us? Do we do, does your book talk about that at all about the psychology behind why we actually still do it? Because there's a huge fear with going without having, having a, a bit of sufferance to some degree, right? Whether it be food, whether it be clothes, being able to go out with your friends. So yeah, but that's what that's, I'm curious. If, if like, do you, do you see that question that's I'm FOMO. asking, Rachel? That's serious FOMO. Yeah. I, well, I think there's kind of two lanes and I talk about just behavior change in general at the very end of the book to say, okay, once you got to this point and you have all this knowledge now, how do you change that behavior? And I think it's a couple of things. I think one, I think there is an element of like, Hey, I would just rather, yeah, it's just like YOLO, right? You live once. I'd rather be stressed out at the end of the month for a little bit and then keep doing what I'm doing. 
And sadly, there's a little bit of lack of maturity in that, I believe. And we always say that children do what feels good, Mm -hmm. but adults devise a plan and follow it. So you can just go on your feelings all the time, but you're going to be broke and Mm -hmm. you're going to keep up with the Joneses. But guess what? The Joneses are probably broke. Like, I mean, you're just going to be in that cycle. And the literal definition of insanity is doing the same Same thing thing over and over over again and expecting a different result. So there's that. And then I think there's an element of change that people are extremely uncomfortable with. Change yeah. is hard. Yeah. Like change is hard. And, and you know, you mentioned the, the the eating aspect, right? If you go in and say, hey, these are the things you need to do to be healthy. Well, it doesn't feel good and it's hard. Like, oh, I'm gonna have to change my grocery habits, maybe change the where I shop. Like it's just not, that's just hard. Yeah. Change is so difficult. We are creatures of habit. And so sometimes people would rather just sit in their mess and continue yeah. making it than actually changing. And so you know, when we walk people through what we call the baby steps, the first step is just getting a thousand dollars in the bank cash. That's it. Mm. But we say that that it's the easiest step because it's a thousand dollars. You can sell stuff, you can save, you can do whatever you can, get it quick. But it's also the hardest step because once you make that step, you're saying, okay, I'm going to change the way I've handled my money for decades for a lot of people. I'm going to change the way I view it. I'm going to change what I'm doing. And that is so scary and so uncomfortable. And that hard work, some people just don't feel like it's worth it. And yeah, we, my dad laughs all the time. He was like, me and Jenny Craig are going to be in business for the rest of our lives. <laughs> right. Continue to do it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard. And I think, and I, and, and I hope, and I write about this some in the book, but I'm like, I, I hate the idea that suffering and a massive failure causes change, yeah. even though it's a great teacher. Suffering yes. is a great teacher. When you suffer, you're like, who, but I want people to change before that. I'm like, before I don't want that. you to have to hit yeah. rock bottom learn now and get, you know, understand yourself and understand your money now. And, and you can avoid so many more painful decisions in right. the future. Right. You also talk about how dreaming impacts our ability to save money. I'm so curious about this. What, what does that actually mean? Yes. Our dreams and what we want out of life, whether we want it in a week from now or a decade from now, what we want our life to look like it, money is the tool that helps fuel that. And what do you want that to be? And so I find people don't save money, number one, because they don't have it mm-hmm. at the end of the month as much. Um, but also number two is it's not a priority. And what I've realized is I've attached, okay, when it's not a priority, it's amazing. People stop dreaming. They stop setting goals. They stop looking to the future and saying, this is what I want to do. And so when you can kind of take the two together and say, hey, what you're doing, you're saving. Why do you save the money you save? It's usually not just the emergency fund is one thing, but really to fulfill your life and what you want to do with your life and using money, not as the end all be all, but the tool to allow you to get there. And so letting that be your motivator to save. And so a lot of people have asked the question, you know, why do I, why do I save the way I save? Why do I spend the way I spend? Why do I give the way I give or don't give? all of that. And I think this is really the answer to the saving question. When you can understand your dreams and if you're married, having them together, having shared dreams, and you're going towards a goal, towards a vision, that saving element of your money comes right behind it in a much more natural way. I see. You know what? See, I'm such a tool. (laughs) I totally thought that she was saying like, if you are, if you have dreams of stuff you want to do, that that's not going to allow you to save money. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I dream a lot about like all the stuff that I want to accomplish. So I'm screwed. (laughs) No, no, the opposite, the opposite. Well, and the other thing she said earlier about the definition between, you know, how you manage your money and the things you do, you know, YOLO, she basically defined me and I realized I'm a child. (laughs) 
so, have to so keep you on track. This has been a, a super lot. enlightening interview. I do. <laughs> I have to keep him on track a lot. You know, it's funny because he is the spender in the family. Like most people would think I am because I love just, you know, stuff and whatever. No, but you're thrifty. I really am super thrifty. Like I, I don't get, care about money. I get so excited when I find like a bargain. I'm like, dude, these earrings were $12. I got them for $5.99. Like I'm so excited, right? But I have and, to get, and I have to give you props on that because we we are surrounded in a, in a community where there are some very wealthy individuals yeah. who who love to pose their Birkins, pose the expensive bags in an Instagram photo. And I love the fact that my wife goes up and she goes, well, this is my handbag. And guess what? <laughs> it was a couple hundred bucks. And by the way, I could buy a Birkin and maybe one day I will buy a Birkin. I just, at this stage of my life, I had a handbag line, so there was no need to do that. I know, but I love that about you. Okay. Well, I'm sure you do because that allows you to go buy more things. <laughs> That's your dream. Buy the yeah, Birkin, you right? can save and buy it. I yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, no. So, I mean, honestly, that really had more to do with that. I had my own handbag line and I think it's kind of, kind of like contradictory to be like, I have a handbag line, but I'm going to go <laughs> Wear all these other handbags. I actually have a very nice collection of handbags, of designer handbags. As yes, well, you but, do. Um, but I do love my handbags, and I'm very proud of them. So, um, okay. Sorry. Total Can I stop for a second, Gretchen? Yes. I think that that's a great point, though. To reiterate what you just said, I'm like, yes, because it goes back to that idea that it's okay to have nice stuff, but yeah. you're not letting your nice stuff have you. You're being wise with it, yes. and your identity, your happiness is not being fulfilled by buying that thing. And right. one thing I so my this was this was probably five or six years ago, one of my dreams, and it's not the Birkin bag, it was Louboutins. I was like, I want a pair of Louboutins. Yeah. I just want to buy them. I couldn't get myself to spend the money because I was like, oh yeah, gosh, I could buy so like expensive. a couple, you know, right. Sam Edelman from Nordstrom and have my have my quality versus right. my quantity. Right. And, and so anyways, I ended up getting them and I was like, that's great. But the question I kept asking myself is, okay, if no one sees these shoes, do I still want them? Right, right. If That's no one sees me, question. do I still want them? And so that that kind of helps filter to that identity with your stuff of having nice stuff that like, and to me, I was like, I mean, I would love for people to see the red bottom. Sure, I worked hard. I saved yeah. up for them. I got them. But at the end of the day, I'm like, no, they're kind of just this fun fashion goal that I have. And I just kind of want them. And so you can run that filter. Uh, but what you're saying, I think is still so true that there's a healthiness and how we view our stuff in the materialism in our life uh, that could be held really with an open hand and in a healthy way. You know what? That's such a great question. And I, and I want that to almost be our question of the day. I might be jumping the gun a little, but I really want people to think about that. Like if nobody saw what you're purchasing, would you still want to buy it? And I think that is such a great question because today with social media and how everything is like the perf picture perfect, you know, feed and everything looks great. Look at what I got and look at where I'm going and look at this and look at that. I mean, that is such a great test to be like, really who cares at the end of the day? Meaning if you really care and it's something you really want and something you're proud of and it makes you feel good. Great. By the way, just for all of you out there, I have a ton of Louboutins. I spent lots of money over the years of being on Housewives of wearing Louboutins and they hurt like hell. Okay. <laughs> like they are not comfortable shoes. No. So trust me, you're not missing out on anything. It's all about yes. the status and the red bottom, um, more so than actually being comfortable. So if I like, there's some days that I'm like, why did I spend, you know, $600 on these shoes that hurt like crap? And I ended up having to sell so many of my shoes because I, they hurt so bad. I couldn't yeah. stand in them longer than an hour. Their art, they are not to wear. They're like, they're yes. literally like show pieces. So yeah. anyways, oh, I know. No, that's my disappointment. I got them and yeah. I wore them out and I was like, 
man, I want Sam Edelman, Sam Edelman back. Know. Like, give me like the, the $150 pair because that's actually comfortable. Like, give me some Manila Blondex. There's a couple, there's a couple pairs that, I, I mean, a couple styles in Louboutin that I found that actually work, but still I can only go like two and a half hours and then I'm like, I gotta get these things off my yeah. feet. So I'm just letting you guys know out there that like, don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad that I'm missing out on this because you're actually saving your back and yourself from getting bunions. Okay. That's right. Um, so... Um, let's, let's see. I want to ask you what you would say separates this book from all other self-help guides about money out there. What would you say is the main reason for that? Yeah, I would say it gets to the root of the problem faster. Mm. Uh, again, I think you can put band-aids on your money and change habits here and there, say no to certain purchases and all of it. But if you never know the why, um, I think it makes the journey so much more difficult. And even people that are on our plan and they're getting out of debt, we talk about, you know, when you get out of debt, you pay it off smallest to largest and you go crazy. You, you sacrifice your lifestyle. You re, you eat rice and beans, beans and rice. Like right. you sell everything. You do anything you can for a short period of time to sacrifice, mm-hmm. get that cleaned up. And then you're able to live. You live like no one else is what we yeah. say. So later you can live and give like no one else. So you actually have the money to buy things and you can go back to that lifestyle that you want. And it's great. But for a short period of time, you can sacrifice. And even people that are in that position that they're going on that debt-free journey that I talked to, a lot of them just kind of white knuckle their way through and just grind it out and do it, which you can. And there's an element of sacrifice that you will have those days. But I thought, man, what if you could even get under that and say, if I can start to understand me and what put me in debt in the first place and work on myself, become healthier in who I am, it makes the process so much more enjoyable. And I think you're able to empathize with the people around you, your spouse, if you're married, going through that journey with them. I think it just makes a better quality of life when you ask the questions why. So not only for people that aren't doing any great money habits, it's still a good book because it unpacks and and you discover who you are. But even people that are on a money journey to get in control, I think it allows that journey to be more peaceful, honestly. Right. What, um, what would you say on average, how long that period of time would be? I mean, just as a listener, I'd be like, okay, so if I'm really going to do this, is this going to take me five years? Is this going to take me a year? Like on average, what would that timeline be of suffering? And this is such a great question because I was, I was planning to ask you what you felt the biggest takeaway from the book was going to be for someone. I kind of feel like this is it. The realization that this is not forever. Yeah. You know, we are trying to establish good habits, but it, there is a short period of time for you to go through, have a little bit of sufferance, but then come out the other side and live the lifestyle you want to live. So that that question regarding that time frame, that's it's a great thing that I'm sure our listeners would love to know about. Yes. So we find that people are getting completely out of debt except for their mortgage mm-hmm. in 18 to 24 months. Wow. Is about the average time. Not even so two years. Can, yeah. For two wow. years, you can do anything. You can yeah. do it. But again, it's the level of sacrifice. And the deeper you're willing to sacrifice the more traction you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, it's that level, but gosh, I can't eat. And, and I don't, I talk about, you know, getting out of debt and stuff in this book some, but um, that's in some of my other stuff. But overall though, that principle, again, it's so countercultural. It's so yes, weird on so, really so many is. people, but there's just an element of complete freedom that um, financially, when you don't owe anyone anything uh-huh. and, you know, and I would, I was going to say maybe not so much in the OC, but no, I would say it a hundred percent applies to people in the OC as well. Like when you don't owe someone money, 
the way you, why you go to work changes your motivation, your why behind so much changes, right. mm-hmm. your emotions change. Like you can sleep at night. There's peace. There's mm-hmm. so much there emotionally. And I think spiritually as well, right. there's an element where you're like, wow, I actually can give and live life with an open hand and trust God in so many ways. I never thought I could because I'm trying to control and almost serve these two gods of money and God mm-hmm. and paying bills and the credit card and the, you know, the student loan and the car loan, like it's just so much for so many people. And again, that overwhelming stress I see all the time. I see all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the work you know to get out. Again. I but am so like hearing what she's saying. First of all, I have to commend us a little bit because I feel like the one thing that you and I did, gosh, how many years ago was this now? Almost eight years ago, we got rid of all of our credit cards and we strictly use a debit card and that's it. And that was the best feeling we have. Um, we paid off the car and the only outstanding, like big thing we have is the mortgage. And I got to tell you, that is so. And that's not even that big anymore. It's not even that big anymore. And I, and I'm hoping that we can pay this off in the next couple of years and I can have my house completely paid off. Um, but you know, it's interesting, like you said, like I didn't even realize that that was going to make such a big difference, but getting rid of those credit cards and just strictly living with that debit card totally like changed. Like, like you're saying, you just feel so less anxious. You don't go to bed, like worried about like, how am I going to pay this next month's credit card? And, and things aren't as easily accessible to you. The fact that you would walk into a TJ Maxx, which by the way, is one of my favorite stores on the entire planet. And I get myself in trouble every time. So it's like, you're not allowed to go to TJ Maxx, but I love to go into that store. People know you by name. It's ridiculous. All hands on deck. Everyone out of three. Gretchen's here. All the the people that work there are like, oh, hi, Gretchen. Hi, Gretchen. And so it's like, why do they all know who you are? So anyways, I would go in there. And like, when you have a credit card, you're just like, oh, I can buy anything I want. And then I'll just have to worry about the bill later. Whereas when you're using a debit card, you're like, okay, if I go spend, you know, stupid money here, then I'm not going to be able to maybe get food at the grocery store or whatever. Right, exactly. So yeah, it's, yeah. it actually is, um, I would give that as one of my, the biggest suggestions to people out there that are struggling that puts you in check automatically. Let's say you're really bad at budgeting. Just do that to start with. And you're going to be forced to budget really quickly. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah, now you don't have card. everything at your fingertips. Yes. And you're exactly right. Studies have shown that you actually spend eight to 12% less when you use cash or debit card right. versus a credit card. Cause you're, it, it is, you're, you have no emotion attached to that thing, like no emotion. Uh, but when you know the money's coming out of your bank yeah. right there, you think twice about it. You think through the purchase and all of that. I cannot believe you guys don't have credit cards. I nope. I assume everyone has a credit card and I'm nope. the only one trying to get them out. No, nope. that's awesome. That's Thank awesome. you. I mean, what, you know, it, we, that to tell you the truth, it actually just kind of happened by accident, but, um, but it, it was, it was kind of, it was really strange. It really just was a really great. Well, we've had some, we've had some life events happen. You know I yeah. mean? I, I've had s- severe medical expense debt because of my son's brain cancer. You know, we just had some things that have happened where we realized I couldn't have planned for that. You know, I couldn't predicted that that was going to happen. I don't think a lot of people could have predicted what happened in 2007, 2008, where businesses yep. went, went bankrupt and people went out because of the economy. Those are, those are life events that you can't prepare for. And I think subconsciously because of that, those events, we've said, we don't want to have debt. Well, and the truth was, was that I realized that the American Express card I had had like a stupid uh, limit on it, meaning like just, it was, I don't know, 200 something thousand dollars. I mean, it was stupid, right? Like I could go buy a freaking house with the credit card. Right. And I was like, wait, this is not healthy for me to have a credit card that has that large of a limit on it. And then I can just do whatever I want and then hope, you know, like 
that the money will be there, even though I know I work really hard and I'm, you know, I feel like I'm pretty smart with my money. I still just felt like that was being irresponsible in a way. And so, and I wasn't purchasing anything big enough that I needed to have that kind of, you know, yeah, access see, most people don't come to that realization. They don't come to that realization. So it's, it's very cool that you have had that. Cause again, it doesn't impact people that same way. Yeah. Um, I, I love the fact that the book is going to show people that this is obtainable. This is doable. You know, within that 24, you know, month period of time, a lot of books don't talk about that. They don't want to give you a set of instructions or things to do. This really shows you a, a system that you can put in place and you can achieve it. And I, I absolutely love that about what you've, what you've created. Do you know that she actually wrote another book called Smart Money, Smart Kids? And I think we should read that to Sky tonight. <laughs> Did you know that based upon our conversation with Rachel right now, that that's going to be her new bedtime storybook? Yes, I totally <laughs> think so. I really think so. I'll send you um, a bunch of kids stuff, you guys. We got lots oh my of gosh, I would love that. Uh, uh, thank, thank you, you so much. Because you know what? Slate and I have talked about the importance of that so much because we really didn't have it in our lives. Even though my parents were were good examples of, you know, saving money and being smart with their money, um, it was never talked about. You know, we ne I never really got taught of how to manage my money or this or that or whatever. And I do, I feel like I'm illiterate in the sense of like, I've just had to teach myself everything and learn everything and kind of do the uh, trial and error situation, you know, and, and nothing bad on my parents. I just think that it was just like, it was almost like a taboo subject. Like you just didn't talk about it, you know? Yep. So I, we, Slade and I have talked about how imperative it is for us to really talk with Skylar about that teacher young, teach her how to do the simplest basic things. Like you go to school and you're learning algebra and when the heck do we ever learn or use algebra? How to balance a checkbook is not there, yeah, but you can like, learn algebra. I want to really learn. And I love, I'm going to totally steal uh, your parents, like the commission based stuff. Like I'm totally stealing that. That's so, a great idea. Um, Rachel, where can people find you on social media? Yes. Uh, at Rachel Cruz, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, my show is there and Facebook and podcast, the Rachel Cruz show. Awesome. Um, all right, you guys. So her new book is called know yourself, know your money. Rachel, we can't say thank you enough for being with us today. It was such a pleasure. It was such a pleasure. We have to hang thank out you now. Guys. We have to hang out now. I know we're going to hang out. It's really good for us to say we're friends with Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, when life is lifted, I, I end up Southern California a lot for work. So I'll oh, call good. you guys and be like, oh, please, please. We're, we're taking you to baby. dinner and it will be It'll on be our great. debit card. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we'll take you to dinner on our debit card. Woohoo! Everybody, Rachel Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right, you guys, that was so much fun to have Rachel on. You know, what's so cool about her, first of all, she told us secretly off um, air. on, on off air, air that she used to watch Housewives and like was a big fan. So that was really fun because I feel like sometimes people of like her status, like don't take the time to like watch trash TV. Like that. <laughs> we shouldn't wreck her credibility, Gretchen. No, I just think it was really sweet that she actually was a fan of ours. Um, I think she watched the show and kind of went, there's a lot of opportunity with those women because they do not know how to manage their money. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, but she's so sweet. And, you know, for her to take the time out to come chat on here and really, you know, help so many of us out there that do struggle with money and, you know, have issues. And, you know, I mean, it is sad to me. There's so many people that really do struggle with money. And by the way, we still struggle with money. Like there's still days that we're like, okay, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to do that? Like, you know, people's perception is, oh, you're on TV. You're just, you know, you have millions and jillions of dollars and whatever. And your life is so easy peasy. And it's just not true. And oh, we forgot to ask her more money, more problems. Darn it. 
Well, no, we kind of teed it up a little bit, but I think I think she clarified on that. I mean, I believe she said basically suffer through that two year period, get your house in order, yeah. and then you're able to really live this lifestyle that you want to live because you've taken the time to actually build something solid in the beginning. And I think that's my biggest takeaway for this, by the way, is that I think there's a lot of self-help. There's a lot of financial publications that are out there, but I've never seen one that goes A to the root of why you manage or deal with money the way you do, because there's always an underlying issue or belief about the money. And two, what other publication has ever said, guess what? Most people within 18 to 24 months can suffer through putting the new infrastructure in place and then go back to living this incredible lifestyle, but still having some financial security that you didn't have two years ago. Yeah. Who's ever said that? Who's ever said you can achieve this in two years? Yeah. It's not that long. Well, Dave Ramsey has been saying that for years. And what I love about, um, like if you follow his social, it's so cool because he has all these people that like hold the boards up and we're like, I was in $182,000 in debt and I'm debt free today or whatever. And they say it took 24 months or whatever. And he has them write it like on a chalkboard and then they hold it up. And it's well, really cool because cool it's constantly being posted and you see how many people they've helped get out of debt. So the thing that I like about Rachel and Dave Ramsey these programs is that it's truly working for people. And it's like the proof is in the pudding. You know how like they, somebody will go do like an exercise thing or they go join a program, Weight Watchers, and you see the physical results. It's like the same thing. Like they're physically showing like, okay, doing this for 18 months or doing this for 12 months got me out of the debt. So people are like, wow, okay, I can do this. And that's cool. Cause I don't think it. anyone else does that. Mm -mm, it's kind of like, Hey, buy my book. You know, we're just supposed to believe those people know what they're doing. Right. Or now you're actually seeing the result. Yeah. And people like are giving great testimonials and everything about it. The other thing that I wanted to mention was this last series with pastor Rick. Um, if any of you guys want to, you know, hear some biblical side to um, wealth. I think it was really interesting. These last few sermons that Pastor Rick has talked about at saddleback.com is where you can watch these. You know, it was really kind of great for me to recognize that God doesn't frown upon wealth. I feel like I've had this misconception my whole life of like, oh, if you're wealthy, God's like, that's not good. You just have to give it all away. And after hearing Pastor Rick talk about the fact that God doesn't really frown upon wealth, he frowns upon somebody using their money incorrectly and hoarding it and not doing good with the wealth that he's blessed them with. Yeah. That was my takeaway too. Yeah. How you obtain that wealth. If you attain, obtain the wealth in a fair and honest manner, mm -hmm. God wants you to have an abundance of wealth. Mm -hmm. But then the expectation is just don't hoard that wealth. If you've been blessed with it, just don't hoard it. Mm -hmm. And then be sure to tithe, be sure to give back, be sure to help. Yeah. So yeah, very cool. It was really cool to kind of like learn that. So that's another good yeah. resource if you guys are you know, struggling with that to go saddleback.com. Way, way to get a little biblical and, you know, well, sprinkle in a little spirituality. I like it. I think sometimes those things like help us kind of see things from a different point of view too. Yeah, it's very true. Okay. All right. So the question of the day we talked about, but you guys go question yourself. Like if you're purchasing something, um, are you purchasing it because you're looking to show off to other people? Or are you purchasing it because you really want it? Put yourself in check on that one. Because that was the question, question, right? If you go to purchase something and no one ever sees it, yeah. Would do you, still you still want it? Would you still be purchasing it? That's a good question, Gretchen. I like it. Another great show. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Going to remind everybody, please download. Please subscribe. Yep. Please tweet me. I want some tweets. <laughs> and you guys uh, tune in for next week's episode. Thanks so much for always joining us here for another episode of Not Too Taboo. We will speak at you soon. Love ya. Bye.
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast do not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please visit stage29.tv.